Hi, welcome everyone to the last night of the Genjo Koan class series for the aspects of practice. I have a few announcements as class coordinator before we actually get Could started. Could you use the mic? Oh, can, can you hear me? That's can better. Does That's that better. really work? Okay. Yes. So a few class coordinator announcements before we get started. Let's see. Number one is, and most importantly, I really want to thank the people who supported having this class happen. Um, Yogetsu online is our online tech host. Genzon is our in Zendo tech host. Thank you so much. There are a variety of people who are monitors and doans. James Irv, uh, Cecilia, Yoni, Jonathan, Preston. So thank all of you for juggling the positions and filling them. I also want to remind you one last time that uh, please, if you haven't made your payment or your offering for the class to do so, our office manager hopes that you can do that within the next week. And you can do it either by putting a check through the mail slot or mailing one in with attention to the office manager or going online to the, the magic generosity tab and going clicking through to the sashins i think it's the sits classes sits in classes and uh you want to send it to for the class and please send the office manager at office manager at at G, bzc office manager at gmail.com address that you are making the donation to the class so she can do the record keeping and Finally, a request to all of you who are online. Hi, good evening. It's wonderful to have you here again this week. And if you're able to, comfortable to, please turn on your camera so we can see you. We really appreciate being able to have a connection with you, albeit in pixelated form. So we're gonna start by sitting for a few minutes.
also, I would also like to welcome everyone who made it into the Zendo and um, also those of you online. And um, thank you for uh, sort of putting your pictures on, those of you who can. Um, um, <clears throat> I, I want to just acknowledge the time change. Um, you may all um, have adjusted better than I have to me. It seems quite late and very dark. And um, so coming out seems like a sort of extra effort, and I extra appreciate it. Um, and we're coming to the end of the Genjo Koan. Um, I sort of have this sense that the first sections are uh, really about you know, the sort of what Buddhism is, uh, sort of almost defining it in some way. And it's a little bit um, impersonal. Um, and that the last sections are actually very personal. They're difficult to understand sometimes, I think, but um, they really speak to our practice and our lives. And um, so um, it's, it seems slightly different. Sometimes people say, or I've heard it said, that the first sections really say it all, and the last ones are less significant in some way. But I haven't found that to be true. Um, I found them like they elaborate or um, sort of, um, they're very intricate and really very interesting. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to work from two um, translations tonight. Uh, the moon in a dewdrop one that you all got and then um, a translation by okamura roshi and i actually um printed them out um and i wondered um if you yeah thank you Tim, if you could pass them out um and so i i just used one piece of paper so <laughs> there's one on one side and one on the other Okay, so um, I'm sorry, the people online should have gotten actually both translations in the um, announcement that I sent out, um, if you want to look at them or if you have them in some other form. Um, <clears throat> let's see, um, one of the things that I sort of thought when I first read these sections. It's um, section uh, 11, sections 11 and 12 in the Moon in the Dewdrop Do version, but it's just section 12 in the Okamura version. So that's a little confusing. Um, but, you know, I thought there was sort of a mystical side to this, and I'm, I was a little bit interested in what that was. And I mentioned it to Andrea, who offered to, what was the word? Mystical? Mystical, yeah. Uh, who offered to um, say something about sort of Dogen's um, history and um, sort of the idea of Dogen as a, you know, a mystical thinker in some way. So I'm going to get her start. Yeah, thank, thank you, Ellen. I think that this crystallized for me not, uh, not only from studying Dogen rather extensively with Okamura Roshi, 
but also when I read a book that some of you may know called Mystical Realist. So I wanna, and I'm sorry, I wrote this out and I'm a little too tired to wing it. So I'm mainly gonna, gonna read this tonight for the sake of coherency. So Dogen can be hard to understand. I think a lot of people approach Dogen and they go, what's this really about? And so that's because he's a poet. So he's pointing at things and working with words to kind of turn us upside down of our usual way of thinking. Part of it's because he wrote in ancient Chinese, ancient Japanese, and what was the current Japanese. So he used language in a very fluid way that had to be interpreted according to of what his practice experience was. And that's part of the reason it's so hard to understand him as well. Another reason I think for some of us that it's difficult to grasp what he's saying is just what A, what Hei Jin Kim said in the title of his really excellent book, that he is a mystical realist. The realist part of it isn't so hard to understand. As Ellen was saying, he gives lots of examples that come out of our life. Fish and birds and firewood and ash. Oh, the boats and shore, just in this passage, the whole fascicle of uh, the Tenzo Kyokin, which many of us have read and studied, is all very practical about how we live our lives. And so the kind of realist about how we actually experiences in our phenomenal selves is pretty accessible. The mystical part though is harder for people. Mystical could be called what's mysterious, ineffable, or otherworldly. It's also uh, a major part of why his spiritual writing has endured as a classic for more than 900 years. He's able to express the inexpressible about what we can't see and immediately lose if we as much as try and conceptualize it, it illuminates our lives. At least that's my experience about him. So the sections we're gonna read, uh, of the sections we're going to review tonight, it's really section 12, that I think gives a great example of that. You can see the concluding lines, although actualized immediately, the inconceivable may not be apparent. Its appearance is beyond your knowledge. What does that mean? There are many such lines in his copious writings, just a couple of other to remind you about how he works with language and what this mysticism, if you will, is. From Bendola, all Buddha Tathagatas together have simply, have been simply transmitting wondrous dharma and actualizing anyatamyaksambodhi for which there is an unsurpassable, unfabricated, wondrous method. And from the Ehe Kosu Hatsugaman, we vow with all beings from this life on throughout countless lives to hear the true Dharma, that upon hearing it, no doubt will arise in us, nor will we lack in faith, and that in doing so, the great earth and all living beings together will attain the Buddha way. It's not out of this world, I don't know what is. So we started, I believe, our, our whole study of Dogen with a little bit of background about him. I just want to highlight some of that with this point about how he writes in his 
his uh, way of expressing as one is that of a mystic. You know, we know that he was born into an aristocratic family that lost all of its good fortunes in the turmoil and upheaval of Kamakura, Japan. His father died when he was two. There was corruption and instability, which were very disillusioning for an idealistic child and an idealistic young man and monk. Famously, at the funeral of his mother at age seven, when he saw the incense rise up in front of her, his coffin, he had some kind of insight or connection with the brevity of this life. Perhaps, too, it opened him to the question of what was that life and where did it go? Spiritual questions. Most importantly, after as a monk with his uncle at the age of 13, he made his way to the first Rinzai temple that was in uh, medieval Japan, guided by Master Neo Eizen, um, or I should say Eizai. It isn't known whether young Dogen actually got to meet him personally, but he did study there for several years. What's important to know is that temple, like many Japanese temples of the time, had a mix of practices. In this case, that included seated meditation, chan, shingong, ten, and tendai. Tendai was Dogen's first Buddhist lineage, and he really cut his spiritual teeth on it. The Tendai sect was quite important, religiously and politically powerful in Dogen's time, so he became somewhat disillusioned with that political intertwining. But its core text is the Lotus Sutra, which has as its central doctrine that everyone will be Buddha someday. It's all throughout his writings. It's all throughout this writing. Shingon is also in the Vajrana, uh, Vajrana, line that stresses that one is able to attain Buddhahood in this very body and that all beings are originally enlightened. That too is all throughout his writings. Both practices are tantric using mudras, mantras, mandalas as practice vehicles. So they use this kind of mystical embodied practice and the fabric of Dogen's training was a firm foundation that enlightenment is always at hand and Buddhahood is possible in this very life. So his writings are infused with a faith in these truths. It is faith believing in something unseen until you experience it yourself. And Zazen is the wonderful vehicle for that. I think many of us are challenged to take that as our starting point, to start from the point of enlightenment to start from the point of faith. And yet that's his teaching, to have so much faith in our life, both our small life, our small deluded life, and our big, knowable, immense life. So that's what I want to say. Oh good, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Um, so we're gonna start with the, um, text now and we divided it you know really almost sentence by sentence because um it just seems like every sentence is you know very rich uh to me at least it became rich after i read it innumerable times we also i realized we suggested or i suggested when we when i sent this out that you read it out loud 
But to do this, I actually typed it so that you would have it in this form. And I realized that was a whole other way of relating to it, you know? And I, it was sort of surprised to me, but it was actually sort of illuminating just to do that. Um, so we're gonna start with the first um, section in uh, section 11, I mean, the first sentence in section 11 uh, in the Mooning the Dewdrop version. And then, so I'll read that, and then Andrea will read the Okamura sentence. Uh, which is actually section 12 in Okamura. Um, <clears throat> so here we go. Now, if a bird or a fish tries to reach the end of its element before moving in it, this bird or this fish will not find its way or its place. Therefore, if there are fish that would swim or birds that would fly, only after investigating the entire ocean or sky, they would find neither path nor place. So I say a few words about this. Um, so um, I think you could look upon this as a way of thinking about practice and enlightenment. You could think about how much we, and we've talked about this in other classes, how much we think about enlightenment um, as something um, kind of out there and separate from us um, and something that we're sort of working toward or trying to gain. Um, but we can also look upon it as just in our lives, how we kind of sometimes um, you know, it's a way I think of sort of objectify our life, you know, should I do this or should I do that or should I make this decision or should I make that decision. So we're sort of looking at our life and, you know, rather than being in it and um, uh, I, you know, could give you a number of examples. I, I kind of always hate to use dance as the example, but I guess I won't do that again, <laughs> which is um, that, uh, you know, when you do a dance performance, you make a lot of decisions, actually, and you do a lot of planning for it. Um, and those are things that, you know, as humans, we do all the time. But once you've done those things, you've chosen your venue, you've raised the money, you've you know, pick your costume and the lighting and so forth. Then, you know, you have to do the dance. And if you're thinking about the outcome while you're doing the dance, or you're sort of thinking, well, do I look good? Or am I going to get a good review? Or, you know, where is my, this is going to lead me? Um, you know, you, you, you cannot perform. You just really can't do it. Um, so, um, you know, that's just one example, but you could give minute examples in your life about, you know, kind of looking at it or, you know, being part of it. And so that's kind of how I read this. So do you want to say a few words? Yeah, a few words, just a little different angle that's very similar to where Ellen is coming from from this. I think of the, the fish or the bird maybe are like us and the ocean or the sky are really the transverse of our life. 
you might think of them as our own Buddha nature, our own aspiration and our way, because he's talking as a spiritual writing here. So he's really talking about our path in life. If we try to imagine what that's going to be or how to get to what we think that's gonna look like, we miss out on our entire life, right? You can only live your life where it is. And if, unless you're present for what ha what's happening here, you may miss out on that great connection, that great possibility, being someone that you didn't even imagine or recognizing something about your life that you had no concept about. So you have to live your life right where you are in the middle of whatever it is that's unfolding. I think maybe we should just go on to the next one and then, and then we'll take thoughts if people have them because it, it's really all one. This, this and the next person up. When you find your place where you are, practice occurs actualizing the fundamental point. When you find your way at this moment, practice occurs actualizing the fundamental point. When we make this very place our own, our practice becomes the actualization of reality, Genjo Koan. When we make this path our own, our activity naturally becomes actualized reality, Genjo Koan. And I guess one question I would have here is how people are doing with the word actualized. Um, you know, does, is that, um, you know, something that, I mean, I just wonder, is that a word that's sort of um, available or meaningful, <laughs> you know? to people, is it, is it working? Um, so does anybody want to? I mean, if, if I were to say to you, Amy, what, what is actualized? Um, some blend of like, the word like concrete comes to mind. So like made, uh, lived or experienced or enacted in some way, but maybe without so much uh, agency attached. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot to say that you would provide people with it, but that's, sorry, I, I think that's fine, that. but in the future we'll try well, to get Let's it. just ask, can people here online, okay, can you hear what, what the oh, questions can. are? We yep. can hear most of it. At the end, it was a little, it trailed off. Okay. okay. And would anybody else like to say anything about this word, Hannah? I just think make it actual, make it real. I mean, one of the things for me when I looked at the definition is that it includes the word action, which really interested me, you know, that it, you know, you're acting into reality in some way, that there's an action in it, which I just hadn't really thought of when I, when I first read it. Marley Alexander has a hand up. Hi, Marley. Hi there. <clears throat> Um, yeah, just on this point, I feel like every time I run into that word actualize, which can feel so abstract sometimes, um, I literally have to stop myself and say something like, make it real, or, you know, I, I almost have to like, make it concrete to myself, I sort of stop dead in the middle of that reading to be like, no, that's, it's not just this planned thing, but, um, yeah. Uh, 
I think that's great. I have to sort of do that too, frankly. Anybody else? Oh, Pauline? Oh, sorry. oh, go ahead. Oh, Ray? Yeah. Oh, okay. Can you hear me? So I have a um, interlingual gloss on the actuals. Um, Wait, can in you German, say that more? an interlingual or a bilingual gloss on the word actual. Okay. So in German, aktuell means now or current or emergent. So mm -hmm. uh, I can't hear actualized now without I'm thinking something that's literally this moment right now or emergent right now. That's great. So. I'm with you, James, on that. It come, to me, it means to come to life, to be lived right in this moment. Yes, yeah, the same in the Romance languages, actually. Yes. Yeah, actual Spanish, just like a slide name was current. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the word that was coming to mind for me um, is actually practical. Um, practical as opposed to theoretical. Um, practical as an uh, expression of practice. Um, which, which I think goes to what you're saying about, about action. But, um, you know, the contrast between the fish or bird trying to come up with a firm theoretical underpinning for uh, <laughs> the, the nature of the, uh, the water or the sky without actually venturing forth into it is, uh, I think for some of us, uh, venturing forth into the water or sky without having a firm theoretical sense of what that water or sky is, is can be a frightening thing. That's a great point. Um, great so point. I, I think, you know, when I take this time, this has just sort of encouragement to, to do that without, you know, the sort of leap of faith. That's a great point. Rich Freitas had his hand up, but I don't see it now. Come on, Rich. Hi. <clears throat> Hi. So I, sort of related to this, seems to be making a distinction between practice and activity in those two lines. He basically says the same thing. There's like some tense differences, but I, I'm wondering if you think that he basically says practice is the actualization and activity is the actualization. And I wonder if there's a difference between those two things that we should be focused on understanding. No, the way I read that is that he's bringing our attention both in space and time, to the to the place and to the moment, is how I read that. Anyone else wants to add something to that? Um, um, I just keep thinking it sounds very like, and I don't know much about it, but mindfulness. Um, yeah, just this, you know, here and now. Yeah. Here and now, here and now with your whole body. Okay, Dean, did you want to? Um, I, um, it wasn't until you said, what do you think about this word actualization? And I thought, actualization, where was that? <laughs> and I started looking and I realized, I went, we make this very place our own. Our practice becomes now. And I completely left out the actualization of reality. So when you said that, it <laughs> sort of startled me. Because I thought, where is that? So, um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Sue O has her hand up. Excuse me, who? Sue O. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm here. I'm just struggling with where to sit. Uh, 
for some reason, what came up was um, seeing little kids practicing, you know, that, that total focus on what they're doing. Um, Ellen's background is dance and mine was preschoolers. And so maybe that's natural. Um, but there was one of the kids at the Halloween or at the Sajiki um, discovered the rubber critters, you know, the snakes and lizards and insects that were in the noisemaker box, which was great. And she just totally focused during the ceremony outside. She was sitting on the Zendo stairs and I was totally drawn to this, watch this, laying out in order, some order that was important to her, that was of interest to her, these creatures on the stairs and talking to them and rearranging them. And it just, of course, it just fascinated me. And um, this, there was no distinction between her and what she was doing. I think that a lot of practice is about that, physically doing something that we're totally attending to. Yeah, I would say the signs are specifically about that, very specifically. There's no distinction, but they don't mention the part where when you're learning something, or I remember learning different positions at Berkeley Zen Center, and it was just total terror <laughs> to learn, to think I could learn it and then actually do it. And you, and like Ellen said, you had to let go of the, you know, if you were worried about performance anxiety, you really can't do it. So that had to drop away. And you do what you do. And that's true for a lot of life, I think. Yeah. I've been sort of interested in sort of being fully present for performance anxiety as well but um that's just sort of another thought i've had also for the planning and the you know i mean sometimes when i would sit with say sojin and we would be talking about the library and we would be planning you know he was just as present as he was any other time and you know so you know i i kind of make a separation sometimes but he didn't or I don't think he did. And, and, you know, so I think that's something to keep in mind that even when you have performance anxiety, you know, that's what's so, that's the thus. <laughs> that's right. You include everything in it, no matter what it is, whether it's your awkwardness or your performance anxiety. I just forgot what else I was going <laughs> to say about that. So I'll include that too. Okay. Yes. That's, that's a good example. Uh, shall we move on or does somebody else want to say something? Lori? Just one last thing. I mean, this is, uh, I, I really appreciate what you said and it's a wider view. I always think of, or I always thought of, our element is delusion. You know, like, so the bird is, element is the sky, the fish's element is the water, and our element is delusion, you know? <laughs> and, and that kind of fits with what you're saying. Like, if you try to get to the end of the performance anxiety, before the, you know, like, or if you try to get to the end of delusion before you practice, you can't do that. You can't get to the end of it, you know? So, I mean, it's not so different, but um, no, it's, it's something point. that hasn't been brought out. Yeah. And, and so often when we have our own little sort of moments of mini awakening, it's because we've woken up to some 
delusion of our own, you know. Add in a, the idea of the lack of self consciousness that happens. That even when you're feeling anxious, or even when you've got a lot of emotion going on, if you cannot engage with it in a way that's kind of your personal story about it, but just be it, just fully show up with it in an unselfconscious way, I think that's also part of what's been pointed. Um, oh, okay. How about the fundamental point? How are we doing with that? <laughs> um, does anybody want to tell me what that is? Kabir has his hand raised. Kabir. No, I'm. I, I can't say anything about that. But what <laughs> I wanted to say was that when we're not present and not paying attention, accidents happen. And the other day I was trying to cut a bagel and it was Friday and I was thinking about the the class the night before and I was not with that bagel and that knife and I ended up having a big cut in my pinky. And, and so <clears throat> not being present and not being in the moment, it, it can be very dangerous. So. Well, I think that's, but I also think accidents happen when you are present. I mean, you know, you don't get away from it. We don't. And but I, what I learned was, I was just blown away by this incredible machine that we possess. That is the body. I didn't go to the hospital. I didn't put any stitches on it, or I, I just took care of it, gave it what it needed, and it healed itself. And I think it's sort of. It was that that is a learning moment for me, and and I think it's also the same with everything in life and also our practice, is that if we just show up and we focus on our breath and our posture, and kind of do what our ancestors been doing and the Buddhas has done, I think that's that's enough. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So does anyone want to take a stab at what the fundamental point means to you? Do you need a microphone? Yeah. Just out of principle, I should use the microphone. <laughs> um, we've talked about, about what actualizing meant, but I feel as if some of the things that we were saying about the actualizing was actually the fundamental point which is that being present and, and being in accord with the Dharma and um, practicing, that is the point that he's trying to make. That is the fundamental point of, of practice. And making that real is what the actualizing part of it is. Anyone else want to put it in his or her own words? There are a lot of ways to say this. Yeah, I have to say that's one thing I enjoy about it. When I think about what the fundamental point is, I kind of come up with a different answer every time.
I just kind of feel like I. Um, I feel like I have a question about the major premise. So <laughs> when you find your place where you are, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. Um, how does one find one's place where they are? What is that? I don't think we've talked about that yet. And I'm not sure I know what it means. Well, I think you could say specifically with this, these few sentences, it's um, kind of when you let go of your, I mean, what I call, or I think of as sort of objectifying my life, as sort of looking at it and I'm in it so that I let go of my thinking about it. Um, and I'll give you another little example. So I was trying to decide if I should go to Seattle and meet my new grandson, who's a month old and I haven't met him. And I said to a friend, I'm in a fit of indecision. And, my, and I was, and I was like, should I go? Do I have time? Is this a good time? Will it be helpful to them? You know, I was like, you know, and then my friend said, why don't you just go? And at that moment, I just dropped all that stuff that was going on in my mind. I packed my suitcase, I already had my ticket. But, you know, it's one of those Southwest ones that you could return. <laughs> um, and I got on the plane. I didn't know what it would be like. I didn't know what was really going on in the household. I just went. And, I, and occasionally I have a thought of like, this is too much. You know, this, you know, I can't do everything. I can't, you know, I, you know. But, you know, I just let go of those thoughts like you're doing when you sit. And, you know, I was just there for, Chaos, you know, which is really what it was like. <laughs> but, um, you know, do, does that make sense to you? That does. Um, I don't know. Something, something still isn't quite landing for me. I, I, I do hear what you're saying, but it's. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where my resistance is. It's fine. Can I give an example? Yeah. You know, uh, every before every semester. I think you hold that a little closer. You turn it off, otherwise it makes a sound. Okay. Before every semester, and I taught for many years, I would always feel some nervousness on the first day. And it was the result of, um, you know, a new group of people and not knowing how, what would the energy be like and, you know, how would they like each other? How would they like me? How would I like them? And all that would kind of be going through me and I would be well planned, but the minute I would walk in the room, it all just would fall away. And I think that's something about finding our place, just some ability to, I'm sure you do that in your work. Karen, <laughs> so, Nancy have their hand up. Okay, um, let me just respond to Susan for a minute. Susan, did that happen 
always, or did that happen more as time went on for you? No, it always happened every semester. Right from the get-go. Because there was this mystery of what 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 it was going to be like. Mm -hmm. But the minute I would walk in, it would just fall away mm -hmm. because I really had the confidence to do what I was going to do. It was all in the imagination. And there was kind of what you were saying with dance, performance anxiety. But the minute you stop thinking, at least my experience was the minute I stopped thinking about myself and just put myself in the situation, that fell away. Um, Karen or Nancy? And I, Cecilia, did you have also still have your hand? Wait, let's, let's do one Shall I go ahead? Yes, please. When I was working as a librarian, I would be on the reference desk. And, you know, um, the library, the main library at Civic Center, where I worked, um, was kind of like a um, adult daycare center where people who had no place to go, that's where they lived. And um, so there are people with a lot of is uh, issues, substance abuse and uh, mental health challenges and things like that, poverty. So um, I was supposed to actually be doing other tasks in my downtime when it was slow at the library. So I would be trying to order books, for example, but I kept getting, having to take care of little explosions everywhere that happened. And so sometimes I would get this feeling like I'm trying to get something done, but somebody's having a fight in the aisle you know, in the biography section. And um, then, you know, there'd be somebody doing drugs and I'd have to deal with that. There'd be somebody coming up to me and really just, they'd be asking questions, but they really wanted attention. And sometimes I'd get frustrated thinking, you know, I can't get anything done here because all these kind of non-library things are going on that I have to attend to. But then I realized, well, that um, these so-called interruptions were actually what I had, that was what was present in that moment. Yeah. So I, it's like the fundamental point keeps arising and constantly and changing, and it's like being awake to whatever is in front of you. That's what I think. Nicely, nicely said, I like it, very nice. Cecilia? Oh, um, um, just to think about the fundamental point, um, and I keep thinking about that famous phrase, be here now, I can't think of the guy that so, um, so, um, 
Okamura, um, can you hear me? This yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he quotes a part of Bendoa um, that and I just think this is such a special way of expressing this. Even if only one person sits for a short time, because this zazen is one with all existence and completely permeates all time, it performs everlasting Buddha guidance within the inexhaustible Dharma world in the past, present, and future. Ooh, there's the mystical. Who would have guessed? That's the fundamental point. Okay, good. I think we better move on I because we've only gotten through two of these do, sentences and we have six of them. Right. So. Do, do you want to let people stretch for a couple oh, yeah. of minutes? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, we better move on or we won't get to the mystical, the especially <laughs> mystical part. Um, so this is the third sentence, really. Uh, in, uh, yeah, I guess it's both of them. Uh, for the place the way is neither large nor small, neither yours nor others. The place the way has not carried over from the past and is not merely arising now. This path, this place is neither big nor small, neither self or other. It has not existed before this moment nor has it come into existence now. Therefore, the reality of all things is thus. So that's kind of confusing when I first read it. But I think that kind of, for me, the, the sort of simple way of thinking about it is that there's just no duality. So, I mean, and that sort of, avoids you know getting into what do you mean there's no big no small there's just there's no duality you know so you don't you know you you don't compare things basically and um and you don't separate them that's the way i kind of can deal with it basically <laughs> another way I think that's really great. I think another way to say what you just said is to say everything is just right the way it is. Yeah. Nothing's out of place. It all fits perfectly. And I, I want to point out that in the Okamura translation, I feel like he kind of solves the whole problem by with that thus. It sort of sounds like at the, at the end of that sentence, he says, therefore, the reality of all things is thus, like he's sort of saying. I already said it and it's this, but really, I think he's saying the reality of all things is thus. That's what I think. It's like thusness or suchness or, or just this. Yes, just or as Sojin used to say, it. So anybody want to comment? Kabir has, has his hand raised. Here. You, you took the word out of my mouth, just this, yes. Um, what this does for me is uh, try not to get hung up on the past and not to develop anxiety of what's going to happen the next moment. Interesting. Mm -hmm. and, and see it things more like see as is mm -hmm. or just this. 
And um, going back to what Karen was saying about what she was doing in a library, and lately I, I've been extremely busy with two jobs and two teenagers and all that good stuff and uh, juggling quite a few things, and um, things start to pile up. And as soon as I start to think about, oh, my God, I'm not taking care of the things or I haven't replied to those emails or my inbox is my inbox is exploding. It gets worse in a way. But then I go, well, maybe I'm just meant to do this, this thing that I wasn't supposed to do or it just fell on my lap. And then the drama kind of falls, falls away. Yeah, that's good. Uh, why don't we move on to Susan? Uh, because otherwise, we won't get to our mystery. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that part is neither large nor small is interesting to me. I think for me, that has something to do with, you know, finding the meaning of life in limited activity. It doesn't matter how small or great it is. It's right there. And... Um, Put the there's no there's no need to wait to be great that it's right there in our limited activity yeah a corollary to that or just an add-on to that is you have everything that you need whatever's happening right now you have everything that you need nothing's missing Okay, onward. Did you want to? I was just going to say quickly, when Susan was talking and, and actually we read this, what I, I thought of was it's not taking anything along, not taking, the, not bringing the past, not pulling in the future. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think somebody brought up at another class, you know, that the past is part of the present and the present is part of the future i mean the future is part of the present also but um i mean that's a little bit to me like the thing about planning um that yes they are but still you know it's moment by moment i think with me i had a conversation with someone recently and we have this bristle point and I decided, okay, let's, I'm going to talk about this. And what I did is I didn't bring the bristle points. I'm aware of them, but they didn't get brought in, nor did I decide this is the way you are, this is the way I am. So I didn't bring in that that's the way it's going to be. So I'm talking more, I didn't dismiss any of them. I just didn't make them that moment. Exactly. Good. That's Accordingly, yeah. accordingly, in the practice enlightenment of the Buddha way, meeting one thing is mastering it. Doing one practice is practicing Oops, completely. I, I, I made a mistake. I typo. <laughs> okay, so this is the other version. In the same way, when a person engages in practice enlightenment in the Buddha way, as the person realizes one dharma, the person permeates that dharma. As the person encounters one practice, the person fully practices that practice. So
So I'm just going to take a moment here to point out these various words that sort of are, you know, intriguing. And you guys who are translators can comment if you want on this. But so there's mastering. You know, that's a rather active and intense word. There's penetrating, as Sojin pointed out in one of his talks, a little masculine or yang. Um, and he's, and then there's permeating. These are all in this. And then there's, and then Sojin pointed out, you know, you could also say embracing. And I just thought, you know, there's many words we could use. You know, it's just, it's, you know, you could like immerse yourself or, I don't know, there just be a lot of nurses. When, when we talked about this, I think one of the things we noticed is in the Tanahashi Aiken translation, the words were more about kind of taking charge or taking control of, like mastering is, or whatever the other one is. But in the Okamura translation, it was more about joining with or embodying or manifesting it. And from at least for my working with this, I feel like it fits more closely with what Dogen is saying is that we manifest that the man, the moment is manifested out of everything that's in that moment. It's not me acting on it, but it's me meeting with and being met by all the other circumstances that brings brings the moment to what it is, actualizes or manifests that particular moment. Manifest is a word I didn't think of. Anybody else want to suggest a word or a translation? Or <laughs> yeah. understanding this is what Kabir was talking about in his life. Yeah, it is. It's what we're completely what we're talking about. Okay, should we move on to section 12? Sue O has her hand oh, up. Sue, I didn't see that. Sue. Either you're muted or you haven't started yet. <laughs> Come on, Sue. I am struggling with this, sorry. I was thinking about practice positions that we show up it's not personal um, and maybe in our work that's that way and with our relatives there's a point like a resting point where you're not doing it you may you're man there's a manifestation happening uh -huh. and um it, it's pretty great yeah. it really it's always surprising could that be with anything you do? What? Could that be with anything you do? Yes. Everything you do? It can be. Yeah, I mean, I can be aware of it at times, not always aware of it, but it can show up anywhere. Just this. Just this? I was just going to say, we notice it more in the places that usually have um, some friction or some difficulty for us. We notice it when it's not there. What a relief. 
Yep, I agree. Were you yawning, Amy, or raising? No, I was raising. <laughs> um, just briefly, okay. I can just speak up if that works. Um, I I was thinking about this: how one translation says "realizes one dharma," realizing one dharma, and the other translation says "meeting one thing." And I was just thinking of these words: realizing versus meeting, and uh, it seems like realizing is a, a heavy ask. Like I have to understand it, and and so I'm just. Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm sitting with meeting as just kind of showing up, as Sue was saying. Um, it, there's something in that to just show up and meet it, and that's all that's asked of us. Yeah, it's almost like realizing takes you back to the very beginning where you're trying to, you know, get, yeah, get to the edges yeah. of the ocean. Uh -huh. Yeah, but just to mess with that a little bit, you know, the title of Okamura's book is Realizing Genjo Koan. Interesting. So I think he's actually using that in a very similar way to how we've been talking about actualizing, like not out of your mind, but just having a full-on experience. Making real. Uh -huh. Making making real. Yeah. Living reality is what comes up for me. But I think you're right, Amy, that realizing has a very mental, it could have a very mental what I find kind of interesting about that discussion is when I actually think about the places where I use the word realize in everyday life, it's not like an intellectual cognitive activity. It's mm -hmm. not like, oh, I forgot my shoes or something, like whatever. But it, it is something that just is suddenly like, oh, and I don't know where it came from. So it, maybe that actually matches the way we use it. I, I think you're right on. Yeah. I think if we looked that up in a dictionary, we would see that that is a meaning of it. Yeah. I realized the keys I were look at, was looking for were actually in my hand. <laughs> and you actualized them right there. <laughs> okay, onward. This is section 12 in Women of Dubra. <clears throat> Here is the place. Here the way unfolds. The boundary of realizations is not distinct. For the realization comes forth simultaneously with the mastery of Buddha Dharma. Wow. For this, there is a place and a path. The boundary of the known is not clear. This is because the known, which appears limited, is born and practiced simultaneously with the complete penetration of the Buddha Dharma. <laughs> Like, you can't talk about these things. Yes, you can. It oh, feels like it was just really hard to translate this <laughs> passage. <laughs> not the first sentence. So why is the boundary not known or clear? Like, can we actually really know everything? No. No. And can Absolutely we actually not. really distinguish between me in the moment of non-self-conscious connection, is there really a me and a you? Is there really a boundary between this and that? So the words don't work. Yeah. Well, they're helping us right now. Well, they're 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 pushing us. If they're not clear, even if they're not clear, they're really pushing us. When you have that experience. Words don't work. That's that's right. Mm -hmm. Right. 
and sort of for the same reason that um, you know you can't you can't make distinctions and words do that. Marley Alexander has a hand up. Marley. Thank you. Um, this passage really sort of takes me back to the slightly more concrete passage of being on the ocean and you can't really tell whether it's a circle or a square because what's everything? Right. Um, and it just makes me think about, you know, it can be so easy to be like, am I paying attention to all of my body and mind? How could I even know? Because if I'm worrying about that, I certainly am not. Um, so I, I feel like as abstract as this may be, it really throws me back on, yeah, what else is there but to practice with it? Is this also because the boundary is not known because the next moment is a different moment? I think that is part of it as well. That's right. As soon as as soon as you have this moment and you recognize this moment, you're already on to the next moment. I'm kind of going to repeat. Loud, Jim. Loud. Be, be loud. I, I will. Uh, just from a textual perspective, I love this passage. This is the place, right? It's it's like an exhortation. And yet, in the very next sentence, that place explodes. There is no, there is no, how do you define it? There's no, and we see that over and over again here in, in Dogen's writings. And what do you do with it? You sit there and watch the waves, I guess. I don't know what you do. You know, my experience of his writings actually is that he, he doesn't leave anything out. So, you know, when he says, you know, that you, uh, you know, this is the place, but he then he also says, you know, that you can't grasp it. So but he just doesn't, he doesn't let you settle, you know. Yeah, it's almost like he's, um, in textual form, showing us what it's like to sit and experience that. Yes. You arrive somewhere and then, oh, that was, that was an illusion, or that was, that, that moment thought. Right. That's good. We're not exactly. knowing, or just not knowing. Right? Yeah. All right. Anybody else <laughs> on this one? You know, Uchiyama Roshi calls that interpenetrating reality. Oh, that's a good one. These, these words, I like them all. Really. But that's a really good one. Okamura, when Okamura teaches Dogen, he's always using the analogy of Indra's net. What Susan said reminds me of that. The idea of Indra's net is that everything is completely connected to everything else and you can't separate them out. Sue O oh, has her hand up. So why do you, why does you talk about mastering practice? How does one do that? Is that just one of those things where they, he says it and then he takes it away? I 
I, in reading the commentaries, I feel like what this is pointing to is a, a complete interaction with, with everything and what you're doing in one thing. So the mastering is not leaving anything out, but being completely engaged with, with all the components of whatever it is that you're engaged with in the moment. I think you could leave something out, actually. Do you have an experience of a mastery like that? But he's not saying mastery practice. That's not, that's not what he says. He says, meeting one thing is mastering it. And okay. here he's saying with the mastery of Buddha Dharma in the other oh, Again, but that I don't think that's practice. Oh, this is in this one, yeah. But mastery, you know, it's not a word. It's actually probably my least favorite of yeah. these words. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the one where in the other translation it's permeate, right? right. It's very, very different. Than, yeah. 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 And I think maybe yeah, active versus uh, passive voice is not so important. The, the person permeates the Dharma, the Dharma permeates the person, right. it's, it's mutual. Yeah, and mastery, I mean, I agree with you, Sue, that is a kind of a dominating sort of word. But mastery in the moment, I mean, it's a problem because we think of mastery as getting better at something, but I don't think that's what he's saying. Mastery in the moment, you can be completely doing what you're doing. It doesn't mean that you're a master. Mm -hmm or that you're dominating. I mean, to me, it seems sort of like domination. Mastery is associated. But I don't think that's what he means at all. I, I really agree with Susan. I think one simple analogy that comes to mind recently from my experiences, so I've been doing some calligraphy in, um, in delicate circumstances. And so I'm very carefully dipping the ink, the brush in the ink, and shaping the tip of the brush as I'm doing it. And I'm very carefully laying down the brushes on the silk as I move it across and change, you know, very minutely aware of my hand, my finger, the brush, the bristles and the ink as they come together. I'm completely engaged with that. And in that moment, it's not like it's perfect or anything like that, but there's a, there's really a tight, working of all of these elements together is that mastery. Um, loud. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so I, I was think, looking at this like realizes versus uh, meets in the last section. And it's interesting that they kind of the translation is kind of swapped. We're here um, in the in the dewdrop we have the boundary of realization is not distinct and then that's being uh, translated as or glossed as the known. So now I'm like kind of swirling in this triad of meeting, realizing, and knowing. Um, and so now like transitive property, what if we substituted, substituted meeting into this one rather than knowing or realizing? And that's kind of illuminating for me a lot of what you guys are saying. It's like this boundary of meeting our circumstances, each other, our actions, what we're, what we're engaging with is not distinct, not separate from one another, exactly as you were describing Asian, of, of this sort of engagement that is uh, interpenetrating being, as, as Susan described. Uh, I don't know how they choose one versus the other. Like, is that the same word in the two stanzas? You know, I don't know either. Oh. We're, not, we're, not, we're not translators. I, I will say that one of the ways that 
I've been able to study Dogen with Okamura is that he'll take these lines character by character and he'll give all the different meanings of a particular character and then he'll tell us why he's chosen a particular translation based on you know 40 years of studying Dogen he thinks that what Dogen meant was this translation but I think that's part of where all these differences come from. It's people's interpretation and also their understanding of Dogen. And you know, my feeling about after reading them both, these two in particular, is I get a real sense of who these people who translated it are. Right. You know, it really, hmm. you know, it makes me really have a different feeling about the two or the you know whoever. Right. Just a reminder that Kaz Tanahashi is a poet. So his, his writings will take on his own poetic understanding. And Okamura is a translator and a very deep practitioner. So he has that flavor. Yeah, but it's even more than that. You know, it's really almost personality. To me. OK, last but not least. Tanahashi, do not suppose that what you realize becomes your knowledge or is grasped by your consciousness. Although actualized immediately, the inconceivable may not be apparent. Its appearance is beyond your knowledge. We should not think that what we have attained is conceived by ourselves and known by our discriminating mind. Although complete enlightenment is immediately actualized, its intimacy is such that it does not necessarily form a view. In fact, viewing is not something fixed. Mm. Again, I'm, I just have to say, he just doesn't leave anything out. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to say that in, you, you may have seen this, but in the Moon and the Dewdrop version, there's a little star by Inconceivable, and it's in the glossary. And um, it is, um, it's, he says it literally means close or secret being, original self, is what the glossary says for Inconceivable. And, you know, Sojin used to talk a lot about intuition. To me, this is really a lot about intuition. It's about knowing, you know, without knowing. Yeah, it's, um, it really seems to be bringing it back to the beginning and, and sort of the insufficiency of, of theoretical investigation. That, um, whatever kind of realization you get at the end, it is not the realization that the bird thought it was going to get by, by mapping out the sky in its mind ahead of time. It also reminds me of what you said at the beginning about not object, don't imagine that it will become an object of knowledge. Yeah. Like, you know, that's what you were bringing up about things that don't become, I mean, when, when we think, when we're looking at our life as like the object of our knowing, that's when we're separate, you know. Right. And so that's kind of what he's saying, it won't be that. Right. Yeah. But, but 
what I'm finding curious in it is if I, the way that I'm understanding the last sentence is like, I feel like I've encountered this idea before and understood it in a way of like, maybe you experience something that you can't capture in words. And you can say to somebody on Tuesday morning, just something happened, but I can't say it in words, but I'm almost reading the last sentence to be like, you might not even realize that anything mm -hmm. happened. That mm -hmm. like, you would just be like, mm -hmm. I sat here on Tuesday morning and then I left and went to work and like actually have no awareness. It's, yeah. It's not grasped by your consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Which but, I, it, I, but it happened. Yeah, which I find interesting because that actually makes sense to me, but I never would have like put that into words. That's pretty beautiful. Nice. That's, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. Um, so, so, wait. And Kabir has his hand as well. Um, not getting caught. Sojin always said, "Don't get caught by anything." So even getting caught by, oh, I, oh, I got it. Oh, well done. <laughs> but don't get caught. Probably a good place to end. But I have a little quote from Sojin. And one more thing, you know, y'all had said something about the way it's translated sort of tells us a little bit about these two. And, and I realized sitting here and the way each of us talks about it gives us a little bit of information about our own. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. And it also feels to me so intimate, you know, to be willing to 
talk about this stuff and, and actually sort of brave, you know, to try to put into words something about this, you know, it just seems like such a great thing. And, and it, you know, it makes me, and all your, you know, kind of working with it, it's like, it actually, I feel very inspired. Kind of. mm -hmm. um, yeah, we're actually really sharing deeply with each other our own experience of practice. It's pretty cool. Yeah, doesn't that say something about intimate? Yeah, I was looking for. I was looking for. Where did that word go? It's right here. Um, it's in. It's in Okamura, I think. Um, I think you say, you know, just be yourself completely and practice the Dharma for the sake of the Dharma. Like, don't draw conclusions. Yeah. It says here, it's intimacy is such that it does not necessarily form a view. Right. And well, you know, although complete enlightenment is immediately act through its intimacy as such, it is not necessary. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to read this quote by Sultan. It's just doing the cooking for the sake of cooking and enjoying the eating as the eating, doing each activity for its own sake. Although there is before and after. We are not attached to before and after. We don't have to sacrifice our life now in order to reach some goal in the future. This is the same as not starting from delusion in order to finally reach enlightenment. Thoroughness of practice on each moment is the goal. That's the last word. Okay. Beings are numberless, I am to awaken with them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I am to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I am to enter them. Buddha's ways unsurpassable. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, all the people who kept coming back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. 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 Thank you.